For many people who love sports, they simply watch and ingest everything as a spectator. But there are plenty of others who take that passion and actually find a way to turn it into a career. And one of those areas that's very popular is within sports marketing, where you're actually helping the team to create some excitement, sell tickets, interact with people in the organization, including the players, and ultimately build brand awareness. And while sports franchises, yes, would be considered brands, there are some differences between, say, an organization like the Milwaukee Brewers from Major League Baseball and any number of your traditional companies that you might come across. I think with the unpredictability when it comes to sports, I think that that's really tough. For us, the whole team could change, you know, in a heartbeat if a player is traded or someone's injured or we go on a tear. So we have to be ready to react to all of that. So yes, we can have a campaign in place, but we have to be ready to to change with how the, the team is playing. Thanks again for listening, everyone. I'm Tim Muma, and that was the voice of Caitlin Moyer talking about one of the unique challenges of marketing a sports franchise. And on this edition of Management Decisions, we're going to get into the details of what does make it just a little bit different when you're marketing in the sports world. We'll also get into the pros and cons of this profession. Now, Caitlin has been with the Milwaukee Brewers since 2003 in a number of different roles within the marketing department. Caitlin is currently the director of new media, focusing on the ever-popular social media side of sports. And one thing I did want to mention off the top, her job doesn't end when the season ends. It is a year-round thing. So let's just get that uh, myth out of the way right away. But we are going to touch on a number of items within sports marketing with Caitlin today. Thank you very much for joining us in the studio, Caitlin. Um, Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, we do want to get into some of the details of what goes into marketing and advertising for major pro sports franchises. A lot of interest in that um, and having a career in that field as well. I wanted to start, though, by hearing about your story. Uh, obviously, I saw a little bit of what you mentioned on Twitter. Something to do with the racing sausages, maybe? Yeah, I actually I started with the Brewers back in 2003. I was an undergrad at Marquette at the time. Got my start as an intern in the corporate marketing side of things, so executing a lot of the sponsor promotions. Did that for a season, was still in school, needed to uh, finish up some credits, and I wanted to hang around baseball as much as I could. So took a job uh, as part of the seasonal staff on the Brew Crew, which okay. is our in-game entertainment squad. Okay. So uh, running the sausage race, dancing <laughs> on the dugouts, throwing T-shirts, all that good stuff. So, yes, you could say I, I kind of got my start as a sausage. Hey, that works. Works for, I, A lot of people love the sausages. A lot of people love to be a racing sausage. Now, for those interested in working for a pro sports team, I mean, is interning really the way to go? Is it essential if you really want to jump into Because I'd imagine it's a pretty popular area that people want to work in. You know, I think for practically every field, internships are probably one of the best ways to get your foot in the door for one thing, and also just to to test out the waters. Mm -hmm. Uh, For me, I had interned actually at a radio station before baseball, and I found out that radio was not for me. So (laughs) I tell students, you know, it can help you figure out what you want to do. It can also help you figure out what you don't want to do. Also for me with the Brewers, you know, getting my foot in the door, having people know who I was, it really helped when a full-time position did open up and I applied that I had had some experience and knew some people there. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that was another question I had as far as sort of proving yourself, showing interest in staying on as employee. How did that all work for you and how were you able to sort of present that in a professional way, not sort of like, please give me a job? When I was an intern, you know, I was just curious about everything. I had started in the corporate marketing world, didn't know if sponsorship was where I wanted to be, but I knew that I loved coming to the park every day. And yes, it was work, but it didn't really feel like a job. 
So for me, I sought out different people. I asked, you know, can I shadow you and go to the TV truck and see what that's like? Mm. And can I help out with anything in the community relations front? And really got to know a lot of people across the organization. We have so many interns that work for the brewers. I think that that kind of helps set me apart. There's a lot of people that come to work every day, have their heads down. They're that nameless intern. Um, So I tried to make people, you know, know who I was and do the best job that I could. So everyone had a positive impression of me. Then staying on in the brew crew and just kind of being around the organization, continuing to be there. And then from there, I had a seasonal position. Okay. Uh, It was right after we changed ownership and things were restructured a little bit. So we had uh, one woman running the marketing department. We worked with a lot of external agencies at the time. And I was hired uh, seasonally, meaning they didn't know if they'd need me after the season to be a marketing coordinator, just a jack of all trades. After about two weeks on the job, I thought, you know, one woman cannot do this (laughs) by herself. If I just don't screw up, (laughs) I should be able to turn this into something. And sure enough, after that season, I was told I would have a a full-time position. And you fast forward all these years, and we've really built up the whole department. Now social media is a thing. It wasn't even a thing back (laughs) then. Uh, We've taken all of our advertising in-house. So we have a bunch of graphic designers on staff and a data analyst. And it's awesome to see how much it's grown. But I think just like sticking with it and being willing to do whatever it takes. Yeah, I, I think that's great advice for anybody. Obviously, we have a lot of people listening who are in a variety of fields, but as far as the intern side and, and pushing yourself, I think that's great advice for everybody listening. Now, you mentioned for yourself, it was, you know, didn't necessarily feel like work because you love doing that stuff. Um, I think a lot of people do glorify the idea of working in marketing and advertising in general and then put it to a pro sports franchise as a fan. Why wouldn't you want to do that, right? Uh, but we do like to know about the pros and the cons. We like to be fair to our listeners. Uh, what would you point out specifically a couple pros, a couple cons to being in this industry? Sure. The cons, I would say, you know, it's a lot of long hours. Mm-hmm. You need to be putting in the time. In baseball in particular, we have 162 games, mm-hmm. 81 home games. So we're not coming into the office at game time. We're coming in at nine in the morning and we're working till the end of that game. We're Oof. getting it up the next day and we're doing it all <laughs> over again. Right. So um, you can't, it's not for the faint of heart. Sure. You need to be able to put in the time. It's notoriously low paid, at least when you're starting out. So don't <laughs> expect to get rich, but you don't do it for the money. You do it because of the passion that you have. If you don't really like the sport or love the sport, you're probably not going to stick around Hmm. very long. Some of the perks, I mean, you can't put a price on loving what you do. Sure. Um, Of course, there's tickets and opportunities there, and it's just something different every day. That's what I really like about it. Right. Of course, I mean, I would love to be involved with something like that. I mean, with baseball related, like you said, if you if you love it, why wouldn't you want to be doing that? Uh, but I do appreciate you bringing up the fact that, you know, the hours are there. Um, as you mentioned with baseball, it literally is every day uh, for, you know, months on end. So I appreciate you bringing that side of it up as well. What about some of the differences in terms of marketing and advertising for a pro sports franchise versus if you think of like a traditional product or company? Um, I'd imagine there have to be some different. I'm sure there's similarities, but there got to be some things that are different that maybe play a role in your type of position. Uh, You try to put together a marketing plan uh, for any product uh, or brand that you are working for. I think with the unpredictability when it comes to sports, I Mm -hmm. think that that's really tough. If you're a a product, like a paper goods product or something like that, you know your business isn't going to change a heck of a lot. You can even plan out two or three years down the road what your advertising campaigns are going to be. For us, 
the whole team could change, you know, in a heartbeat if a player is traded or someone's injured or, you know, we go on a tear. So we have to be ready to react to all of that. So, yes, we can have a campaign in place, but we have to be ready to to change with how the, the team is playing. I know we're going to talk a little bit about team performance probably yeah, yeah. and how that plays a role. But um, in your standard brand, that's not really a factor. Uh, right. There's a lot. And also there's a lot of seasonality to sports, too. Sure. So. In season, you have all your assets right there and all your your marketing tools, your best marketing tools and the players. And then they go away for about six months (laughs) and uh, you still have to figure out how to be year-round relevant. Sure. Uh, Yeah, you mentioned obviously the winning and losing aspect. Uh, I guess I was curious, first of all, how much that does play a role in whether it's brand awareness or, I mean, ticket sales seem a little bit obvious, but I always wonder, is it is it more or less than what people think as far as the impact winning and losing has on your franchise? We have to be able to function either way, um, and we have to be able to sell the experience of coming to the game. So the play on the field definitely factors in. Um, It's easier, obviously, when we're winning that people want to come out, and um, there's more awareness in general, Mm -hmm. and it's probably easier to sell tickets. But in the downtimes, we have to work a little bit harder, but we can still have that experience. And Miller Park's so much fun to come out and the tailgating and the atmosphere that um, we're fortunate that we have that to fall back on. And that was one area I was curious also. I mean, there's such a wide spectrum of fans. Again, I think this is different than a traditional company where you have People who are all about the baseball couldn't care less. I think I mentioned it in OTO, who cares about Hank the dog, that kind of thing. But then there are people that love Hank the dog or love the extra entertainment value, or they see it simply as entertainment as opposed to a game. Do you try to find like a sweet spot somewhere? Do you try in some way to hit on all those different types of fans? I mean, what, what's kind of the strategy with that? It is really tough because baseball is a huge demographic. You know, you're looking at 18 to 54 plus, um, and then you've got your your families that come out right. and people above that in age that are <laughs> the diehard. So you got the diehard fans, you got the casual fans. And we're trying to really reach all those different people. Um, we do a lot of niche marketing. Okay. Uh, social media allows uh, a lot for, for help with that. But, you know, we even have an event called Stitch and Pitch, which mm. is for people who want to come out and knit, crochet, needlepoint while they're watching the game. Right. So we, ha- we have ticket packages that work for just about every- anyone. So you really are trying to hit on as many people as possible as opposed to, okay, here's our main demographic. Everyone else can kind of figure it out. Pretty much, yeah. We're trying to trying to create some reason for you to come out and have a good time, and then hopefully you'll come back with your family and friends. Right. Nice. Now, with that, you know, I was curious going into a season. Obviously, you mentioned things are going to change, but what factors go into determining what your campaign is like? And I ask because for those who know about the Brewers, sort of a transitional period now going into next year. People assume they're not going to be very good, so you might not focus on the talent on the field now. Does that change based on what the perception is of how good the team's going to be, or does that not necessarily play a role? Yeah, in the marketing department, you know, we get together and we brainstorm campaigns, campaign ideas, and it will go along with what is happening on the field sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, coming off of last season where we were in first place for about five months of the year, right. we took our cue from the players. You know, they talked a lot about redemption and getting back after it the next year. And so we came out of the gates kind of bold. Quickly, we saw that that wasn't really the team that was on the field. So we changed course a little bit mm-hmm. and, you know, more fan focus, talk about the energy that the fans bring and how they're so important coming out. So, you know, in this transitional period, like I said, we still have Miller Park is a great time. It's, right. it's fun to come out here. There's a lot to do. And it's going to be fun to see young talent coming up. And, you know, we may not win the World Series next year, but it's going to be fun to get to know these guys and they're going to play hard. Right. 
I have to ask, and I didn't give it to you on the sheet ahead of time, but the whole Hank the Dog thing, uh, as far as, you know, it was two years ago, it was coming off of the whole Braun situation and the team, we didn't know if they'd be any good. Was that kind of just a stroke of luck and that you guys took advantage of? Was there was there a hope that something like that would happen to sort of take away the attention? Kind of break it down a little bit for us. Sure. Uh, Hank the Dog was completely out of the blue. Um, <laughs> it was my first full year it, or headed into my first full season working in this capacity as okay. the, the director of new media. So I was headed down to spring training and I had gotten to know some of the players through some of our advertising campaigns and things like that before. But in this new role, I really work closely with them on a daily basis. So my goal in spring training was go down there, get to know the guys, get them to feel comfortable with mm-hmm. me and to bank some fun content for during the season. Sure. And um, right before I was leaving, my boss, who was down there already, Tyler Barnes, he calls me and says, hey, there's this little dog that wandered into camp and we got some pictures of him. We're going to take him to the store and get him some clothes. Uh, <laughs> do you want to throw that up on social media? Sure. You know, I'm always looking for off-season content. And it we put it up there with the intent of helping find his owner. He was a, you know, stray dog. And it just kind of exploded. And then I got down there and I saw what a lovable dog he was. I mean, he's a great personality. Mm-hmm. I think that really helped amplify the right. whole thing. Uh, the players loved him. And it just kept getting bigger and bigger. And after a while, when it was clear that, hey, this dog had appeared in People magazine and his <laughs> owner still hadn't come forward, right. you know, we were going to have to figure out what to do with him. And someone from the Brewers front office stepped up and adopted him. And uh, now he's just part of the family. And I think that's cool to hear just that you were, you were able to take, uh, you know, a situation and just and run with it. And obviously it it paid off big time as far as fans loving it and, you know, the bobbleheads and the shirts and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I think that's a really good example of, of what you can do in that capacity. Now, you mentioned it here. Of course, your bread and butter the last couple of years now has been a focus on the digital side um, for obvious reasons, I think. But could you describe to the listeners maybe the value, the importance, the benefit of social media when it comes to pro sports franchises nowadays? Sure. We know our fans are everywhere. And so we want to meet them where they are. We mm-hmm. already know they're on Facebook. We know they're on Twitter during their games. We know they're on Instagram. So we try to keep up with that and put our brewers content in front of them if they are uh, willing to receive it. So it's been really important to con- a way to connect with our fans. And when you think about social media, it, it works so well with sports. The mm-hmm. visual, you know, from the, the videos and the photographs, uh, a great way to tell the story of what's happening with the team and with each individual game. Yeah, it is amazing how it's exploded. I mean, as you said, as especially in the in the sports venue uh, in the last you know, five, six years, especially. How about for yourself? What are some of the more favorite things you have or what you think is really effective? I mean, I know engaging with fans is a big part of it, but is there something in particular you really enjoyed that you've done or taken pride in? I think I've, I'm happy that our team has in embraced social yeah. media. We have a lot of young guys on the team. And as I'm seeing guys get called up, I see that they're, first it was Twitter. That was their big thing. Mm-hmm. Now some of the younger guys are asking about Instagram. Okay. And it's kind of just funny to watch that transition. But last year, when we were winning so much, we were able to have a lot more fun with things. Everyone was loose and, and content kind of created itself. Sure. So if you remember some of the Wei Chung Wong Wednesdays. I do. <laughs> I, we did not script that. It happened. I saw the video go up and was like, okay, we need to post this like everywhere. <laughs> and that was crazy. Um, having a guy like Will Smith on our team with the name Will Smith, it right. just lends itself. So we were able to take the whole bullpen uh, to the fan cave in New York last season, right. and we recorded a music video. 
Uh, Will's got a great personality. We had him go undercover at our fan fest this past season and interview players about the team and himself, which was really (laughs) funny. And then we had him wage a campaign to try to meet the actor, Will Smith. We've had a lot of a lot of fun. And it's, it's primarily because the guys on the team embrace it. Right. Another fun thing that we were able to do, um, I'm personally passionate for golf. I play, grew up playing golf, and I, I love love the sport. Uh, found out that one of the players on the team was also a huge golfer. So in an effort to show you know, the players' personal lives and their interests outside of the field, during spring training, took a couple of the guys golfing. Mm-hmm. And this is myself, Will Smith, and Tyler Thornburg. The three of us played a match against Kyle Loesch, and okay. we beat him, uh, which we should have. It was three on one, but uh, in the end, we forced him to join Twitter. He lost the bet. Oh, nice. He, that's how he got on Twitter, and he was one of my favorite personalities um, on Twitter from the get-go. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Speaking of that, because that is a big thing that pops up uh, you know, with anybody on social media, but with the players especially, Twitter, Instagram, is that something you're monitoring or the team's monitoring, helping them out with a little bit? How does that all work? Well, I educate the minor leaguers on the subject down at spring training every year with the hopes that by the time they get here, they have a good sense of it. And these guys are growing up with it now, so it's kind of ingrained. But uh, as far as the current players, yes, every time they tweet, I (laughs) basically get a text message notification and uh, check to make sure that everything's okay with it. In my career so far, I don't want to knock on the table here, but we only had to have one instance where we said, hey, you know, maybe that's not appropriate. Maybe you should take that down. Sure. And, and like, you know, as you said, it, so many people are used to it now. They're natives of it. But that almost sometimes lends it, I think, to being too comfortable with it. And, and we see that across all industries, obviously, not just pro sports. But it seems to lend itself toward a little bit of back and forth. And um, I was curious. Do you or do the Brewers at all, do you engage in any sort of fun banter with other teams? I and mean, I've seen it with, you know, say the Yankees and the Red Sox, that kind of thing. Is that something you kind of shy away from? We have before, uh, you know, our our voice, as I describe it, you know, we're a Midwest, a right. small market team. So um, <laughs> we're not going to go talk smack with, you right. know, the bigger teams. But, but we are able to have some fun. And, you know, while we're all competing on the field, off the field, we're all friends. So sure. I'm going to a conference in a couple weeks with all my counterparts. And mm-hmm. we know each other and because we're in social media. We all are interacting with each other on Twitter all the time personally. Right. So I'm able to call up a counterpart and, hey, want to have some fun. And sometimes we can stage it or sometimes it just happens naturally. Sure. So, for instance, um, we had uh, Bernie Brewer and the Mariners Moose uh, have a like a battle against when the Packers played the Seahawks oh, okay. last year just to have a little bit of fun with it. Right. So we do right. some stuff like that time to time. Well, we are getting a long time, unfortunately, um, but you know, there are, I'm sure there are people listening that in seeing what the show is going to be about, they're interested in a career in sports marketing in some capacity. Obviously, there are a lot of different avenues people can take. What would you offer up as sort of final words of advice if they were interested? I'd say, you know, find something you love and then find a way to get paid doing it. So if you like marketing and, and you like sports and figure out that that's your niche, um, I would definitely encourage people to take as many internships as possible. Um, you may find your way into sports through a back door. You may you know work at an agency that ha- does work with a team or mm-hmm. something like that. But also it's all about connections. The sports industry is so small at the end of the day that People, everyone kind of knows someone who knows someone else. So sure. don't burn any bridges, but make as many connections as you can because uh, people are, are willing to help you down the line. 
Unfortunately, that will do it for us here on this edition of Management Decisions. Once again, we are speaking with Caitlin Moyer, Director of New Media for the Milwaukee Brewers, as we are discussing the ins and outs of sports marketing, particularly talking about professional sports franchises with Caitlin here today. If you'd like to give us feedback on this or any of our shows, send us an email, ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. You can find us on Twitter at the LJN, and you can locate all of our shows on iTunes. Just search LJN Radio. Thanks again for listening. I'm Tim Muma. Take care, everybody.